Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Gonzaga Nation podcast. Christian Pedersen, Dan Dickow. We hope you guys are doing well this offseason. We're on the back half of the offseason, and we are getting closer to the regular season, and that means bigger and more relevant news every time we check back in with you. And as a reminder, you can subscribe to Gonzaga Nation wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at Fan Nation Zags. Dan, there was big news this weekend, and you did a whole Marcus Adams Jr. breakdown that I encourage people to go check out both on our website and wherever you get your podcasts. But Gonzaga landed a big recruit. Let's give them the cliff notes uh, as as maybe a little teaser for, for them to go check out that episode. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I think it's a great pickup for Gonzaga. Uh, when you look at the schools that were involved with him directly out of high school, you're talking about some some heavy hitters, USC, UCLA on the West Coast. Um, you're talking about uh, nationally, obviously, Kansas, who we ended up committing to. Uh, and then he went to Kansas. So a lot of times now after your high school uh, graduation ceremony, sometimes you got a week or less before you head off to college uh, for summer school and, and kind of get uh, settled at your at your next stop. Well, he did that, and he didn't think it was the right fit for him after spending a, a little bit of time on on campus in Lawrence. Um, and so he decided to uh, transfer before even really being uh, a part of that program, so to speak. So it was a quick transfer and opened his recruiting up and pretty quickly narrowed it down to a number of schools. I, I believe USC, UCLA were back in the mix. I think I heard Washington, maybe Washington State. Uh, then there were some others in the Midwest on the East. But, you know, uh, he chose Gonzaga. And I, I think Alex Tui from Australia with his decommitment, uh, as a similar position type player in that class, I, I think it opened up the opportunity to bring in a Marcus Adams Jr. Watch more clips of him over the weekend. And uh, I think what you're getting is a, is a pretty skilled player. Um, I think he's 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 got good size, looks to be about 6'8". I would say he's a good athlete, not a great athlete. He, he can definitely finish above the rim, but he doesn't look overly explosive. Um, but a good, good athlete, to put it that way. Uh, he can shoot it a fair bit from beyond the three-point line. He's got some good skills with the ball. Um, you know, he, he had a number of games in high school. Now, granted, the competition didn't look great. You know, I, at least one game I saw, he had 50 points uh, down in Southern California. So if, you've, if you're putting up a 50-piece, that means you can at least put the ball in the hole, and, and that's one thing that Coach Few – uh, always values guys that can shoot it, guys that can find a way to score. Um, whether or not he earns a ton of minutes, it's hard to say right now, you know. Uh, but that being said, I think he's a nice ad for Gonzaga. I think it's a great pickup, especially this late. Um, and the and the pickup being so unique, I think is is shows you that Gonzaga is being proactive in every way that they can to continue to, to you know, to elevate the program, to continue to stay relevant uh, in the minds of all types of recruits and transfers. You certainly have my curiosity peaked if this is the first or like the, the quickest NCAA transfer ever to have been to the school and then not really ever actually gone to the school. All sorts of very confusing, but you definitely hammered home last week when we were talking about who you thought would be the starting five, which we've now uh, dubbed the Steel Venters disrespect episode. Uh, but you had mentioned- yeah, that, I fixed that at the end though. I know, I, I know, I know but the, the way that it gets clipped it's up on social media, where, I'm the bad what? guy for not correcting you and saying, what about Steel Venters? Uh, 
But no, you you'd mentioned that Coach Few likes offense and he likes his versatility. And it seems that Marcus Adams checks every one of those boxes and he's young. It just seems like if you're going to lose an Alex Tui, this is not a downgrade. This is not even necessarily a lateral move. This is a good move for Gonzaga to pick up a piece like this. And I would say overall, you're telling the fans to be excited, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Alex Tui was going to be a really nice uh, addition to Gonzaga. I mean, there's a reason he was in the Nike Hoop Summit game as one of the best international players at his age. There's a reason the NBL's Next Generation program signed him to a professional contract because he's very talented. You know, and on the flip side, there's a reason Marcus Adams Jr. was going to Kansas, you know, a, a team that if Gonzaga's in recruiting battles with schools like UCLA, Arizona, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke consistently, which they are now, that shows you the type of player that, uh, you know, values Gonzaga's program and wants to be a part of them. Uh, so I think, you know, it's another opportunity to get a high level player. And I think coach few has shown over the years that if he has enough talent on the roster, which typically he does, he does an unbelievable job of molding it and getting guys in the right roles and the right positions and putting together the right rotations to have a success. Next question we got for you. And once again, you can follow us at uh, wherever you get your podcasts by subscribing to Gonzaga nation. You can also find us at fan nation zags on social media. Dan, is it, is it too early to talk schedules? I, I'm not saying that we got to talk about every single game, but is it too early in general to talk schedules? Yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of getting there because, you know, the majority of college rosters outside of the rare exception, like we just talked about with Gonzaga, uh, the majority of rosters are complete. And, you know, that's one thing that fans are always excited to look look deeper into and they also like to look deeper into schedules and it caught my over the last couple of days i think it might have been on on friday or saturday kind of scrolling through twitter pacific's already released their non-conference schedule like so that gets me thinking wow we are as you mentioned to, to start the podcast we're on the downhill slide of summer now when you're starting to see non-conference schedules come out from schools uh, so that's that's exciting. I know we've got a, an idea of parts of Gonzaga's schedule. We know they're going to play Kentucky. We know they're going to play UConn now. We know they're going to play UW. Uh, we know Yale's going to come out. Um, but we don't have all of the schedule for Gonzaga. So to see Pacific's full non-conference being released, that means it's going to be close where all these other schools release their non-conference schedules. And I would imagine... You know, people are, are extremely excited to to get the final look at Gonzaga's, which I still think we're a little bit a ways away from. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's nice to anticipate it. That's for sure. Looking across the WCC, because these are our WCC weekly episodes, what are you looking for in terms of. I don't even know how to correctly maybe ask this, but you know, how to grade it or the quality. Are you looking for singular big game? Like, do you want to see every team has one power five conference? Team? Like, do you want to see just an elevated amount of play? Do you want to see that? Like, what does you, the discerning basketball analyst, look for in these non-conference parts of the schedules just in terms of the health and quality of the WCC? Well, I think it. I think this the league has done a tremendous job of, of putting an emphasis on scheduling and figuring out how to schedule to positively impact their net ratings at the end of the year so they can 
put multiple teams in the NCAA tournament. I think that's something that's, that was helpful getting San Francisco in a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I think the WCC, I, I can't say you're going to rely on two teams every year, but you should have two teams every year. And then I think if they continue to schedule and improve the way the league has, you should be in conversation to have a third team in every single year. That, that's just the way if you schedule right and then you perform uh, at a high level with that schedule, you're going to have that chance. You know, I think when you look at LMU and you look at Pacific and you look at Portland and, and these other teams that are, are trying to make a push and a run to that upper tier, you need to have enough teams that are scheduled around that 100 mark um, in the net so that if at the end of the year you get those wins, those could become quad at least quad two wins. Um, but depending on how their season goes, it might slide down to a quad three, but you can't have any quad four losses. That's for sure. That really impacts. So you're trying to get as many quad two um, wins, I think, as possible. And you want to also sprinkle in opportunities for quad one wins if you can. Uh, you know, I think I, I think LMU, I don't think they released their whole non-conference, but I think they they kind of it's leaked that there's a couple different uh, games that are out there. And one that I really like with LMU is the Nevada home and home, right? Nevada out of the Mountain West has been pretty good uh, in recent years. They made the NCAA tournament a year ago. They, you know, I think they were, if I remember correctly, they were probably about 55, 50 in the net, somewhere in there. So those are the kind of schools that if the WCC can keep scheduling, and it doesn't have to be the Mountain West. It can be the Pac-12. It could be Missouri Valley. If you can find other schools. If you can find teams in that, you know, 50 to 75 range where you know they're going to be top 100 in the net, if you can schedule those out and you can win enough of those, that's really going to impact your own net rankings. And if your own net rankings and enough teams in, in the league have positive uh, net rankings, every team rises because of that. You know, there's a, a rising boat situation. Yes, 100%. There were times last year where, you know, a team would lose to Gonzaga or lose to St. Mary's, but their net ranking wouldn't go down. Matter of fact, it went up at times. Their RPI would go up at times because you're playing good competition. That's one thing about the Big 12, the SEC. Sometimes a loss doesn't impact you as much numbers-wise uh, as it does <laughs> uh, maybe health-wise of the fans, <laughs> fan base-wise. Um, so lots of things to look at. I think lots of positives are are starting to come out with other schools and other teams, how they're handling their non-conference schedule. The only thing you say when I could, the only thing I could think of when you say that is I just, I hear Jack Ferris panicking and struggling and breathing into a paper bag through an early non-conference loss and you going, dude, it's, it's fine. This is good for the overall health of everything. And he being the barometer of the fans, blood pressure is panicking, but you're like, yeah, no, it's going to be all good. It's going to be all good. Anything else we got going on this week in the WCC, Dan? No, I mean, this becomes a quiet time for the NBA. So, you know, the the guys that were recently drafted and played in summer league, you know, typically this is a time for them where they're, they're probably off in their new city trying to figure out where they're going to live. And then they probably are going to take marching orders from their coaching staff of where they need to spend the rest of their summer to get ready for training camp uh, because – Next, next thing you know, NBA training camp uh, is going to be here at the 
you know, uh, in, in a month, month and a half or so. So, you know, I think that's about the only things else that uh, so what you're saying is we're going to get an episode of, a, of, an, of an exclusive apartment hunting in Milwaukee with Drew Timmy uh, is the is the next one that we're going to get. Uh, well, uh, the only thing is he might need to stay out of the Fister Hotel. That's uh, that's a traditional hotel that most teams in the NBA would stay at. Uh, I stayed there a number of times and it, supposedly that hotel is haunted. Do we um, have a Dan? Is there a Dan Tagovsky story? Is this episode taking a paranormal turn? I mean, just Google it. I mean, there are plenty I'm of articles, you documentaries have. on the History Channel and whatnot about the Fister Hotel is haunted. So I don't know if Drew Timmy, maybe with his personality, he wants to go check out the Fister. You never know. But uh, it's well known in NBA circles. Many teams stay there. Uh, some guys absolutely hated that hotel because um, they felt that it was haunted and, and there was something about it. I never had personal experiences, but uh, best of luck to Drew if you're staying at the Fister in Milwaukee. Appreciate it, Dan. Thank you very much for checking in on another episode of Gonzaga Nation. Make sure, like I said, everybody, you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Follow us, Fan Nation Zags, on social media. We'll talk to you guys soon.